0: Hello and welcome back to the Home Bible Study podcast. Um, this is uh, we're studying currently in the Letter to the Hebrews, and we have reached chapter five. Um, I hope that those of you have been that have been following along have enjoyed the progression. I certainly have. I am learning so much from this study. Um, it's just been a real blessing I've enjoyed it and I'm going to continue to enjoy diving into these things so without further ado we're gonna jump right into um, chapter 5 now I noticed every once in a while I'll listen to these podcasts that I make I try not to because I don't like listening to myself but I noticed in, in the last um, podcast um, that I kept saying when I meant chapter something, I would say verse something instead of saying chapter three, I would say verse three. So if I confused anybody, I apologize. I will try to be more careful not to get so excited to get to the next thing that I'm not uh, saying the right thing to you. So with that said, uh, please bear with me. I am definitely only human, but I sincerely forth a concerted effort to bring you the truth and I study um, diligently to to do that so hopefully the Lord is by his grace using something from this podcast to minister to you and to minister to you in a way that will enrich your life bring you closer to the Lord Jesus and make you Uh, the servant that he has purpose for you to be. So um, let's look at uh, chapter five. I'm going to read the entire chapter and then we'll get into the study. Uh, Starting in verse one, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way? For that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron, so also Christ glorified not himself to, made a high, to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. Um, as uh, he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Verse seven, who... of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need to that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For one that useth milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe but strong meat belonging to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So that's a lot, I understand that. And just reading through it, you can see how that there could be some challenges in understanding because there's a lot. there's a lot of density to what's being said here. And I'm gonna to try to carefully bring out as much of that as possible without going too far down uh, one road. And and hopefully I'm able to, through this study, link these things together in a way that makes sense to you and captures some of the things that the author is presenting to us. The word is living uh, sharper than any two-edged sword And I trust God, the Holy Spirit and the power of the word to accomplish these things. Uh, But I also have a responsibility in myself to present the word in a way that is able to be understood. And I think the Lord Jesus wants us to understand his word. He's made us to be able to understand his word. And we have God, the Holy Spirit to ensure that. So I'm confident that um, you're going to receive something from this. And with that confidence, I'll just proceed in faith. So here we are in Hebrews uh, chapter five. I've titled this the doctrine of the priesthood. In verse four, we saw the doctrine of rest. And so now we're going to see the doctrine of the priesthood. So, uh, we're going to start by reviewing the priesthood. So in order to understand what's being said here, the author is relying on the fact that these are Hebrews and they have had, uh, the ministry, the Levitical priesthoods ministry for hundreds of years, right? So they're very adept. They have a, a clear understanding of what that priesthood is what it has been up to this point. And so the author is relying on that understanding to help support and bring in these new truths that he's introducing to them. But for the benefit of the audience, since that we're not uh, Hebrews and we don't have a Levitical priesthood in our lineage, uh, I'm going to cover some of the things, just high points to give you an idea of the role, the impact, and the ministry of the Levitical priesthood, uh, I can't overstress the importance of the Levitical priesthood. These were um, members of the nation Israel. There was twelve sons, twelve tribes, and each tribe was given a portion of the land, and that was going to be their inheritance. Uh, perpetually forever. The only tribe that was excluded from that was uh, the Levitical tribe, the Levites, the sons of Aaron, the sons of Levi, because they were set apart to minister as a gift to the nation Israel. The way it's described is they were um, set aside to minister to the nation Israel and to be sort of a gift from God to the people in that they were going to serve him and be a go-between between between him and the people. It started out with Moses kind of having that role. Moses was the leader and Aaron um, supported that um, leadership and ministry. Well, It transitioned from just Moses to Aaron to the Levites and the service in the tabernacle, the place where the people met with God, um, that became the, the, the way that they interacted with God whenever they needed guidance or direction. They would go to the temple because inside of the tabernacle or the temple later on, there was a holy place. Right, there's a courtyard, outer courtyard, there's an inner courtyard, and there was restrictions as to who could actually come into the inner courtyard. And they had everything kind of partitioned out for different people. Uh, if you were a stranger, you couldn't come in. Um, if you uh, were a Levite, you had access to certain parts of the um, tabernacle or the temple, and then once a year, they chose a, uh, the, the great high priest who would go in on behalf of all the people on the great day of atonement. So in Deuteronomy 18, uh, we see God setting, setting the, uh, the, the Levites apart to serve. And he, he basically says that only the Levites can serve in this way. They were the people who, the men that would represent the people in the daily service and sacrifice that uh, had to go on. Because the law required sacrifices. Sin must be dealt with. There is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. So there had to be sacrifices. These animals had to be brought according to the law, according to the way God had laid it out in Leviticus and. According to the words that he gave to Moses, Moses communicated to the people that God says, if you want to approach me, you have to approach me in a certain way. And this is how you do it. And under whatever the circumstance was, there was an offering for that circumstance to deal with that particular sin. So you can imagine people were constantly coming to this tabernacle and to the temple offering sacrifices. It was constant. It was nonstop because sin was ever present before them. And the purpose is not because God wanted these sacrifices. He didn't need uh, goats and bulls. He owned it all anyway. The purpose was to show the need of man for an answer to sin. Because we, in our old nature, we can get very comfortable in sin, right? We had that ability. We could be like, oh, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. In fact, the whole world has taken the nature of man, the human nature of man, which is fallen, which is depraved, and they've kind of kind of washed right over that. You know, people are always trying to talk about the positive side and, you know, what's good in man and, you know, this, that, and the other. But God has been very clear that our righteousness, whatever it is that we think is good, is, uh, a filthy rag to him. It was, it's, it's disgusting because his righteousness is far above that of man. But we, you know, we can, we can tolerate things that God's holiness and righteousness would never tolerate. So we needed to some way to see that visually to be placed in, in our face constantly. So we're reminded of the fact of the chasm between us in the holiness of God that's what the sacrifices were so the sacrifices were offered and then a portion of the sacrifices went to the Levites so that they could eat and drink and have food because they didn't have a portion in the land they couldn't be farmers they couldn't raise cattle their job was to be dedicated to the service of the tabernacle and then ultimately to the temple and hopefully we're going to see Uh, why that is. So also, uh, the Levitical priesthood was established. Uh, If you look in Numbers chapter 18, it's the establishment of the Levitical priesthood. And I'm not going to go over that because you can take a look at that on your own. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the great day of atonement, uh, Leviticus 23, 26 through 32, that is when once a year on a certain day, um, everybody was to be conscious corporately of their sin. Everybody was to, on that day, stop, do no work, and just meditate on their sin and really focus on the sin issue. Because you can, if you think about it, if you're going every day and you're taking these sacrifices, it could kind of get routine. You know, it could be kind of mundane. Okay, yeah, going to the temple, I got to offer sacrifice, blah, 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 blah. Make sure everything's covered. And that's kind of what it could become. But on this day, God set apart so people would stop and meditate on the fact that they were sinners. And that they needed a solution or an answer to that sin. So that's what the great day of atonement was. And he selected from among the Levitical priesthood, one man who would be the great high priest. And he would, you know, wear certain clothing. He had to go through a certain process and a procedure. And all of it had meaning. None of it was done arbitrarily. It all had um, great meaning. And you can see that in Leviticus 16, verses 1 through 30, if you want to take a look and see the care that God took in that day. Because that great day of atonement was a picture of what Jesus was going to do for mankind. So to give you just a brief overview of what would happen on the great day of atonement, you have the the high priest that was chosen. God chose who that high priest was And he'd be selected. And once he was selected, he had the responsibility of going into the Holy of Holies. So in the tabernacle, in the temple, you had the outer court. You had the holy place, which was, you know, the inside the little building, you know, you the outer court. Then you had the building. There's a the brazen altar was outside. You know, that's where the sacrifices were burnt, the burnt offerings that went up. And, and inside the, the tabernacle, there was a room that was called the holy place. And that's where you had the golden lampstands and the uh, instruments of worship that God uh, was very specific in the way they should look and how they should be used. And, uh, uh, the, the Levites would go inside and they would fulfill the ministry of, uh The law and according to the law, they fulfilled the ministry on behalf of the people in this holy place. There was a table there with a showbread where there was bread that was sitting out that was pierced. All of this was a picture of what God was going to do in the Lord Jesus. And it was to paint this picture and to really give us a glimpse as to what was to come, the greater things to come. But then inside of that room, there was even another room that was behind a veil, and the veil hid the holy of holies. And inside the holy of holies, there was the the um, ark of the covenant. Right. So there's an ark, and it was covered in it was acacia wood, covered in gold, and on the top of the ark was a lid that had two cherubim, uh, angels that their wings were facing, the two cherubims were facing each other, facing the mercy seat with their wings covering the mercy seat. The mercy seat was in between them. And that was where God would meet with the people. And the Shekinah glory of God once a year would, uh, once a year the high priest could go in there and take these, uh, make this offering um, on behalf of all the people. The whole nation of Israel were outside waiting as this one high priest went into this Holy of Holies once a year, and he would have a rope around his ankle because if he went in there and made the offering and God didn't accept the offering, it meant two things. One, that all the sins of the people for that year were were on the people. They were guilty of them, and they were God was going to judge them for all those sins, and two, Uh, he was going to die immediately. So when he walked in there, if God didn't accept his sacrifice, if he didn't minister the sacrifice exactly according to the way the law said, or if um, God didn't accept that sacrifice, he would fall dead. Well, they couldn't go in and get him because then they would die. Anybody who went in that Holy of Holies violated the holiest place that God had on earth. And it was his presence there. And if you went in there uh, in an improper way, you would die immediately. So what they did is they put bells around the high priest's garment or his legs. Or No, it was around the rope. They put it around the rope and they tied this rope around his ankle. So while he moved around, they could hear the bells jingling. If the bells stopped jingling for an extended period of time, they would assume he was dead and then they could pull him out with the rope without having to go in there. So this was a a high tense, a high level of tension type event because people were literally surrounding that uh, tabernacle or a temple quietly, waiting to see what was going to happen. And every time um, the Lord accepted the sacrifice on behalf of the people and the high priest came out alive but it was something that they took very seriously and that's where the priesthood came from that gives you a hope an overview of what the priesthood was established to be it was made to be um just like moses represented the people before god um so that's what the the levites did the levitical Priesthood, they were set aside by God, right, to serve um, in the temple to represent God to the people. So they would teach the people the word of God. They would minister um, in the, sacri- the sacrifices, the daily sacrifices in the great day of atonement. And they were kind of the ones that made sure that the law was abided by so later on people got the nation of israel got very far away from the original intent of the priesthood and they started these factions you know you had the pharisees and um you know you had uh, these different factions of well this is my the way i interpret the law so they started doing interpretations of somebody else's interpretation and, and an interpretation of that and so they started doing some really crazy things but jesus came and he got a lot of that straight he'll say you know you've heard this from the pharisees right but i say this and so he came to do a lot of correction to correct a lot of the nonsense that that went on and and before you judge them too harshly like you know how can they do that they had the law it was right there in front of them how could they start interpreting it in these crazy ways Well. We were, we had the Lord Jesus and we had the apostles and we have the word of God, the Bible today. And look how many uh, crazy interpretations, um, different um, denominations that have come out of that. So it's human nature. That's what we do. And that's why we need to stick closely to the word of God so that we can know through the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, what his will is for us. So that's the Levitical priesthood. now I went to all that because I want you to understand and to know that the Levitical priesthood had a major role in the lives of uh, the Hebrews and in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. And so that's why um, it's being used now kind of as an analogy to set forth the greatness or the superiority of the Lord Jesus. That's what we're looking at in this section of Hebrews. It's all about why Jesus is superior or above all the things that the Hebrews have known in tradition, um, the things that were holy, the things that were righteous. Where does Jesus fit into that? now that he has come to earth and he's ministered salvation how does that salvation fit into the plan and purpose of god in light of all the things that we've seen in the past and that's what the letter of the hebrews is doing it's connecting the things of the past to the things that are now and even looking forward to the things that are future all of that is being covered here And the author is doing it in a very uh, careful and methodical way. So that's the that's what I wanted to start with what the Levitical priesthood was. And I will put these verses in the um, with the in the post with the uh, podcast so that you can go back and study them in depth. I think it would be a worthwhile study to do that. So with, in light of that, let's look and see what the author is saying. And starting verse one, he says, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. So this is saying simply, um, it's known that a high priest is taken from men, the men in the Levitical priesthood were all together and one of them every year was chosen to be the high priest. It says from among men, he is ordained for men in the things pertaining to God. So that's the role of the Levitical priesthood. That high priest was going to go in and represent the the other men like him before God, right? That was the role and he was going to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. So That was the role of the high priest to go in once a year and to represent the people before God offering these sacrifices. So um, uh, he, and I believe uh, it was like a a goat and a sheep or something like that. I have to go back and look, but he would offer um, a lamb and a goat. He would offer these sacrifices on behalf of the people. In verse two, um, speaking of this same person, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. So basically saying he can have compassion or understanding this high priest would go in there to appeal uh, to God on behalf of other men, because he himself was subject to the same weaknesses, the same infirmities the same hindrances in his life, the sins that he they had to offer um, uh, sacrifice on behalf of themselves and the people, and they could have compassion. And in doing this, by God selecting someone from the Levitical priesthood, another man to represent mankind, in doing that, he's giving that high priest the opportunity to manifest compassion towards The other people, because, you know, God is high and lifted up, holy and separated from man. That's the whole point of the holy of holies is to establish God's separation from man, that he is far above man. And so that's what Moses did. He would go to God on behalf of the people and they would do something stupid. And uh, Moses would plead for God's mercy on their behalf. And so now the high priest has taken that role once a year to do the same thing, to, to show this uh, compassion because a man can have compassion for another man and that he knows and feels um, the weakness that's in man. And, you know, this is not something that's hard to understand. Have you ever come across someone And you've seen them experiencing something that you've experienced in the past. And if you were touched by that experience or affected in any way, when you see it happening to somebody else, you don't laugh. You know, you feel for them because you understand. Um, Let's say, you know, you were married and and you go through a divorce. Well, when you see that happening to someone else, after you've been through it, you feel compassion for them because you understand the impact it has on their children, on them, on their lives, on their future. And, you know, that's the way it should be. We should have compassion and we should see people in that way. Um, and verse three, and by reason hereof, he ought as for the people, so also for himself to offer sin. So this is just saying that, you know, because he understands his own infirmity, his own sin, he offers um, on behalf of himself and for the people. So that's what that's what makes him a, a suitable high priest to represent the people because, you know, he has the same sin issues that they have. And so he has a need, the same need that they have to for this sacrifice in this offering. Verse four, and no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God as was Aaron. So, you know, none of the Levites, the Levites didn't just come up one day and say, Hey, you know what guys, we're going to take over the temple worship. We're going to be the ones to represent, um, you guys, uh, to God. That's going to be how we're going to do this. No, God gave this commandment and he ordained the Levites to be these priests. And even amongst the Levites, once a year, he chose who would be the high priest. So uh, nobody can take that upon themselves. Uh, No one has that power or authority. God has to uh, ordain or uh, appoint this uh, to man. This is a gift that's from God to be able to represent him uh, to the people. That was a gift. That's the way Leviticus uh, and Numbers speak of it, you know, you, you are my gift. So um, to have that, to have that representation, to be able to have someone to represent you who with compassion to, to the God of the universe, that's a gift. And it's not an honor that can be taken upon themselves. It's something that God must bestow upon a person just as he did with Aaron. In verse 5 so also christ glorified not himself to be made high priest but he that said unto him thou art my son today i have begotten thee so when jesus fully entered into the role of high priest it wasn't something that he took upon himself he didn't glorify himself but the father glorified him by making him and appointing him a high priest So the same principle that's true with us, we see God's faithfulness, we see his consistency and his immutability and the fact that he, the father, is the one that appointed the son to be a high priest. And again, uh, we see something else here and that's the eternal decree. I've mentioned this in the past. The eternal decree, the father would um, uh, create Um, uh, the universe and mankind, the son would redeem mankind and the Holy spirit would seal um, mankind until the day of full redemption. So we see that here where the the role of uh, the Godhead, um, where we have the father, the son and the Holy spirit. They each have a role in this redemption, in this salvation process. And part of that salvation process, I'm gonna get too far ahead of myself, is the son would be made the high priest um, on behalf of those whom he has saved or redeemed. So here we see the author breaking that down to us and making us to understand that this is not something new, that these principles have been introduced to us even in the Old Testament. And the more you study the Bible, the more you're going to see the cohesive message of the scripture. It's not a bunch of books that are disjointed and letters by different people that don't make sense. And it all fits perfectly together because it is the word, the thought, the expression of God even though it's being delivered through various means, different men, you know, throughout time, it's all the one thought, the one purpose, and the one intent of the Godhead. And it's, it's amazing. Uh, the more you study, the more you see that. So, so he didn't glorify himself, but, um, the father is the one that said, thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. In verse six, as he said, also in another place, thou art a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek." Now, we're going to learn more about Melchizedek and what that means. But, oh, I'm just, it's mind blowing. The more you think about. It. And we'll get into that uh, a little more later on. But we have the ironic. Priesthood that was set up through Moses. But here we see there is another priesthood. One that till this point has not been developed uh or mentioned in scripture. Mchizedek was introduced back in Genesis, and we'll talk about that more later. But now we're seeing an elaboration on uh, the word of God from the writer. And that's, that's something that I find so amazing in that how much knowledge and revelation that these uh, writers in the New Testament had. And it came from their understanding of the Old Testament, so there's so much that God has revealed to us in his word. And I feel like we just are skimming the the, the surface of it. Whereas these um, apostles and writers of the new Testament, they were able to dive deeply into these things and, and God, the Holy spirit showed them the Lord Jesus showed them so much. And we have the same access to the same spirit. And I think that's why, The writer was so adamant about telling us, do not quench the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. It's so important for our growth and our development and not just for us individually, but for our ministry to others, because that's what this is about. That is the message here. The message here is our ministry to others, just like the Lord Jesus, just like the uh, Levitical priesthood. All of that was ministering with compassion to others, right? And that's what this is about. So here he uses the example, uh, thou art a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek," speaking of the Lord Jesus. And verse seven, who in the days of his flesh, now now we're not talking about Melchizedek. we're talking about Jesus now, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, Unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared or that he reverenced. So this is looking back to when the Lord Jesus was here on earth and he was in the garden of Gethsemane. Um, it says in the days of his flesh, uh, when he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears. Now there were several times in, uh, Gospels where we learn of Jesus Christ. Jesus cried. He felt the things that we feel. And it's interesting now, I notice in our day that people belittle feeling. I think one of the greatest gifts that God has given us is our ability, our capacity for compassion and for love and to be able to feel things that's that is a gift and those of you who do feel things and you feel like that man it seems like i feel things deeply and people belittle me for it or uh, they don't value that please don't allow that to stop you from feeling because jesus values that jesus felt things deeply he felt not only his own emotions, but he felt on behalf of others. Um, versus like, you know, when he said, you know, to the nation Israel, how often I long to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, you know. Th- that's, a, that's a kind of love that wants the best, and wants to protect, and wants to give, and bless, and nourish, and feed, That's the kind of love he felt for those who did not love him in return, but he felt those things. And to feel things is good, and it's a blessing to be able to feel. And I encourage you to uh, always consider that um, something precious to be able to feel. And um, don't don't, uh, ever uh, let anybody belittle that it's, it's important to feel things. And, and Jesus did, he, he cried, but, um, specifically this verse is talking about him crying. I think in the garden of Gethsemane when he went and he took, um, the disciples and he took, uh, Peter and the sons of Zebedee with him off and he would go off and he would fall down and he would pray. And he asked the Lord, Uh, He asked the Father, please, if this cup can be taken away from me. Now, some people say that he was praying that he might not die. I don't agree with that because he came here to die. That was his goal. That was his objective from being born. He came to die. What I believe he was asking that would pass away, the cup was the fact that he was going to have to bear sin. Up to that point, he had been around sinners, he smelled sin, it was everywhere and everywhere he looked, but he himself never sinned. He never felt sin. Sin could not even be on him because of his holiness. Although his holiness was veiled in flesh, he was still God and holy and righteous and he could not sin. It was impossible. Um, So sin had to be placed upon him, right? Sin had to be put upon him. And I believe that's what he dreaded. Because that's how terrible sin is. We don't see it that way, unfortunately. But if you put yourself in the place of God and you understand the holiness and the righteousness that is so much a part of him that he is light itself, that he is clothed in light, holiness and righteousness to have the stain and the putridness of sin placed upon him was devastating. But, 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 and so he cried out in his humanity, you know, if, if there's a way that this could not happen, I don't want it. But he said in the end, not my will, but your will father. And in that, his prayer was answered because the will of the father was accomplished in spite of the weakness of his flesh and in his manhood, not wanting that and crying out and being separated from the father. The one thing that was consistent, yes, he had to deal with being on this earth. He had to be born of a woman and, uh, all the weakness that's associated with being a man But he was always forever connected to the father. But when sin was placed upon him, he was separated from the father for that time. And we can't imagine what that's like. If you think about somebody that you truly love, that you love more than you really understand that you love them. Well, you don't want to be separated from that person for any time. Right. Well, God is able to love in a way that's more pure more powerful more strong than we can even understand right now and that's the love that he's enjoyed eternally with the father and he had to be separated from him so that so that he can accomplish the will of the Father in redeeming mankind so yes he he um he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying so and tears. So supplication is when you pray on behalf of yourself. And so that's what he did. And we have the record of that in Matthew 26, uh, verses 34 through 46. You can get an idea of uh, what that was like. In verse 8, it says, Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, this is a verse that... I don't want to rush through it because there is so much here. I could spend um, a lifetime just on this one verse. Uh, I, I, if I only had the time to really explore it, but I'm gonna kind of give you an overview, and I hope that it'll encourage you by through God the Holy Spirit to study this even more. But Here we see that God learned something. Now, did he learn something in his deity? No, because God cannot learn anything in his deity. He knows all things. But what he did learn is in his humanity. He learned uh, obedience by the things which he suffered. So that's very foreign to us. It's hard for us to even understand that because everything we do is to avoid suffering that's what we want to do we want to do whatever we have to do so that we don't suffer we want to be as comfortable as possible um we want to do as little work as we have to do we want a life of ease that's that's what we desire so we don't want to suffer nobody goes and says you know i'd like to get terminal terminally ill with cancer or you know i'd like for somebody to slowly um torture me to death. No, we don't want that. We don't, any type of pain whatsoever, we take aspirin, we go to the doctor, hey, stop this pain. And that's just how we are. So suffering is not something that we desire. But here we see a principle that I think is very important. That in suffering, we learn things that we can't know any other way. The very thing that we want to avoid suffering is the very thing we need to teach us things that we can't learn any other way. And Jesus, the son of God, did not spare himself from this principle, from this rule, from this law of suffering, learning through suffering. And he learned obedience by the things that he suffered so why would he need uh, obedience well the father desires obedience he says obedience is better than sacrifice that's something that's desired by the father and the son does only the things that please the father So here we see a principle. And like I said, if I had time, I'd like to really develop it. But what we need to understand is that Jesus didn't die on a cross and suffer um, just for no reason. There's a principle that's tied up in suffering that believers need to learn. That when we... have long suffering When we suffer through things we learn and draw closer to god than any other time those if you ever meet a believer who has suffered who knows suffering um, and has been rightly ministered to by that suffering you're going to meet a believer who is very close to the lord jesus It's inevitable. So we need to embrace suffering when it happens. When the Lord brings it to us, we need to understand that we're not suffering anywhere near where we should be. That he filters that suffering out for us and gives us just what we need to learn what we need to learn. And it may not feel good. It may not taste good. It may not smell good. But it's good for us because he makes it to be so. Romans 8, 28. So here we see this principle of obedience through suffering. And we're going to see later on the roll call of the faithful later on in Hebrews. And we're going to see a little more about this principle of suffering and how that it works out things in a believer's life that nothing else can. Um, Lord willing, will see that. So the Lord Jesus did not spare him his own life for himself. he He suffered. And it's just amazing to think about that God would come to this earth to minister to us in this way, and that he would suffer more than any man has ever suffered to redeem people who hated him. That's exactly what happened and it's amazing and it's something that we should meditate upon and it should cause us to want to live a life that is pleasing to him. That should be the response that we have to that kind of revelation. In verse 9, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So, here we see that this suffering made him perfect. So, did it make him perfect in his deity? No, he's already perfect in his deity. But it made him the perfect offering, the perfect representative, the perfect man, God-man, so that man... Who were imperfect now have a means of salvation he became he lived the perfect life without sin he was obedient to the father even unto death and all these things together have created and uh, this opportunity of salvation for man if it were not for what the lord jesus did and he was the only one who could do it And if you think about it, he created all things. This was part of the eternal decree. God established these rules and these principles and he himself was subjugated to his laws. So how dare any man say, I don't have to do that. How dare you? How can you go before a God who's, done these things and say that you're you don't have to so whatever it is that the lord has for us as his people to do to whatever his will is for us to fulfill in our lives we should do it with the same level of earnestness and uh because he says he looked to the to uh, the cross with expectation in the sense that he came with joy to redeem those who he was, he came here to redeem the believers, the, the, those who he came to save, he went to the cross with the joy, the joy set before him of redeeming these people. So we need to have that same joy when we're tasked to do Anything in service of the Lord Jesus, no matter what it is. If somebody is oppressing you at work or in your home, uh, if you're suffering any type of um, persecution, uh, trial or temptation in your service to the Lord Jesus, he knows, he understands, and he has grace for that. And we should have, after having done all, we should stand, you know, put on the whole armor of God and stand. And he has grace for us. He has grace to get you through that. And no matter how bad you think it's going to be, it's really not going to be as bad as your imagination, right? Because his grace is sufficient to counter your fear uh, your lack of understanding, lean on the grace of God, and He will give you everything you need to accomplish His will in your life, and I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not saying that it's not painful because I've experienced pain. I've experienced very difficult things, but the, when I look back, I don't see the challenges. I see how God delivered me. I see His grace and i'm in awe and i learn more about him and his grace through suffering so i encourage you to keep your eyes on him and trust him through whatever it is that you're going through Um, because we have a lot to learn and we need to learn these things so that we can become better servants so it says that in verse eight again though he were a son yet he um learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And we'll learn the same way. In verse nine, in being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto them that obey him. So what is this eternal salvation that he's speaking of? And it says he's become the author of that. So in being the perfect sacrifice um, and being made perfect, He has authored something that before wasn't there. If you're an author of a book, well, before that book wasn't there, you created that book from your thoughts or experiences or whatever, and now that book exists. Well, he has authored eternal salvation. Before eternal salvation did not exist, when people died before the Lord Jesus' sacrifice, they would go to Abraham's bosom. They would go to a place that was called paradise, and it was kind of a holding place. But now, since Jesus sacrificed, He went and took captivity and, ca- and took a captive and led it up into heaven. So now we have access to heaven, to the holiest of holies. We have access there now. We don't have to go to Abraham's bosom in paradise. We can go up and be with Jesus. We can be with God the Father in the heavenlies. This is an amazing and wonderful thing that's happened. And it's all because of the sacrifice of the lamb of the Lord Jesus. And how he's made the way because he's the author, right? He's the author of eternal salvation. So what is this eternal salvation? Well, the eternal salvation encompasses some things we've already seen. In um, uh, Hebrews Uh, chapter one, verse three, we saw that he purged our sins by himself. That's part of that eternal salvation. He had to purge our sins. When the great day of atonement happened and God forgave their sins for another year, those sins were covered over. The blood just covered over the sins, right? But Jesus purged them he got rid of them. There's no longer any guilt or penalty for us because of sin. We are free in Christ. We have no uh, judgment, no fear of death or uh, the consequence of death that has been taken away forever. Eternally, we are saved. We have an eternal salvation because he purged our sins by himself. And then in uh, Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verse 14, um, he destroyed the one who had the power of death. So in the becoming perfect and authoring the salvation, he has destroyed the one who had the power of death. And then in Hebrews chapter three, verse one, now we are a part of this heavenly calling. We looked at the heavenly calling because of the apostle and high priest of our profession, the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the wonderful message that we have to give to others that jesus has accomplished this and now there is salvation there's a perfect high priest who has made a way for an imperfect man full of infirmity compassed about with infirmity as it said in uh, verse two um He's made a way for us now to enter not just into paradise, but to enter into the very presence with boldness, right? We can enter before the throne of grace, the Holy of Holies that was um, locked away and only one high priest could go in once a year. Now the veil has been taken away and we can go directly into the presence of the, exalted holy and righteous god of everything the lord jesus we can we can go before him and he's he speaks of us as being um, his brethren you know that's the way he talks about us now Um, he's passed he's our great high priest that is passed into the heavens you know and now we have access through him to the most exalted place that has ever existed. We can be with him and fellowship with him face to face. Um, That is what the Lord Jesus accomplished uh, on our behalf. The eternal salvation that's in him. And it says, he's the author of eternal salvation unto them that obey him. It's very important that we understand that obedience is the key to unlocking all the blessings of this salvation Um, and that comes from not quenching god the holy spirit from enjoying the rest that is associated with the peace and the salvation that we have in the lord jesus and there will be suffering right suffering is a part of that but what is our balm? how do we get through that suffering well we get through it by keeping our eyes on the Lord Jesus by walking in the spirit by living in the fullness of the spirit and that's how we grow and mature and we um, become stronger and we become more useful and pliable so that the Lord can uh like um Like a potter on a potter's wheel, he can form us into what he wants us to be, and we yield ourselves to that um, through our faith and trust in him. So that's this eternal salvation that we have, and it comes from obedience. It's very simple. Our our greatest enemy is unbelief, and how do we manifest belief through faith we obey it's really that simple and the writer here is laying it out to us plainly so um i'm going to stop here i think that uh um there's a lot more that we need to see but i think this is a good stopping point um I hope that this has been instructional. Uh, It's important to understand that Jesus is our high priest and that he understands what we feel, what we need, and he knows us in a way that we don't even know ourselves. So we should go before him as believers and we should speak to him in a way and with an understanding that he knows us and he knows our intents. He knows uh, our thoughts and our weaknesses. And he has grace for that. Uh, It's important that we come before him in a way that's honest um, because he knows our hearts in a way that we don't know. And he can show us through his word uh, who we are and what we are and what we need. It's very important. So here, we're gonna stop here with this, um, this chapter and I, I hope that this has been helpful, that uh, we can take these things and apply them to our lives in a way that's very real in our daily walk, that we will understand when we're faced with trials, we're faced with um, our own infirmities, that we have a high priest that loves us and can represent us before the father and can minister to us in a way that uh, nothing or no one else can and we need to go to him to our and we need to consider you know the apostle and high priest of our profession Uh, let's close father thank you so much for your word thank you for how that you use your word in our lives and i pray you would do that I pray you would strengthen us and give us grace to represent you in a way that would bring honor and glory to your name and that we would learn and grow by the things that you show us and by walking daily close to you. And we need that. Everything in the world tries to take us away and to distract us, but your grace is sufficient. And I pray that for all of my brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.